Well, our friend April, she lives in Young. We lived in Young for a little while. She's just gained a little brother. It's exciting for her. His name's Dion. He was removed from his biological mother uh, at birth due to drug and alcohol abuse, and he was placed temporarily in the care of April's parents. But what was temporary initially became more permanent. And they, they began this long legal process to adopt this boy, Dion. A few days ago, this is what April wrote on Facebook. Dion, you've been a part of our lives for a long while now, but after today, on paper, we officially share the same parents. Happy Adoption Day, little brother. It's a beautiful story. We all love an adoption story. They're stories that speak to our deepest needs, our longing for intimacy, our search for identity, our need for hope in a broken and fallen world. The story of a helpless child rescued by loving parents and welcomed into their family, these stories resonate with us and they're stories that help us appreciate what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus in bringing us into his family. But we also need to be careful. What do we need to be careful of? We need to be careful not to make too much of human adoption to understand God's bringing us into his family. We need to be careful not to make too much of human adoption to understand divine adoption. Why? There's joy and blessing that human adoption can bring, don't get me wrong, but there's also another side to adoption in a fallen world. Brock was telling me a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago as we were preparing for this series, chewing the fat over these big truths together as a staff team, he was telling me about a mate of his who is adopted. And this mate of his has got a blog where he shares his experience and he writes about distance, not intimacy, a confused identity, not a secure identity. You see, in human adoption, there's something gained in a new family, but for many, the experience is also leaving something behind, leaving some of their history behind. Human adoption in a fallen world can be great, joyful and a great blessing, but it's never perfect. It's never perfect. But what we see with God adopting us as his children, bringing us into his family, is that it's so much bigger and so much better than we can ever imagine. And that's exactly what we see in Ephesians 1. That's where we're going to start this morning, Ephesians 1. And what we see there is that our adoption finds its place where? In the mind of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You see, our adoption is planned from the Father. Our adoption is accomplished through the Son And our adoption is applied to our lives by the Spirit. Let's look at adoption planned first from the Father. Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ 
in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. See, the Father makes us his children, if we're believers in Jesus, as part of his eternal plan. And nothing forces God into this. It's by his own kind initiative. It's not because we're worthy to bear the family name, it's the opposite. We're unworthy. God has no duty to make us his children. And that's the heart of adoption, isn't it? You don't become a father, sorry, if you become a father by adopting a child, you choose to. You're not forced to. The father is motivated only by his love. But God the Creator, He's different from us. As creatures, we need love. We need it from one another. From the very moment we take our first breath in this world, we're reliant on others' love for life in the world. And that continues on to the end of life. April's parents have given Dion the love that he needs. But the Father, our God, He doesn't need love from us. He's not dependent on us for his life. God is perfect love in himself. God doesn't adopt us out of duty and he doesn't adopt us because he needs our love. He freely loves us by bringing us into his family because he wanted to, not because he had to. Just think for a moment about how amazing this blessing of adoption is. The perfect love that God has in Himself between Father, Son and Spirit. The love and intimacy that we've seen in John's Gospel together between the Father and His Son. That intimacy, that love is shared with us in adoption. And we too can call God our Father. See, the Father receives us as His children and loves us with the same affection that He has loved His Son in all eternity. That's adoption. And all this plays out according to the Father's eternal plan, as I mentioned. A plan that He's made known to us in verse 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. What's that plan? It centres on Jesus. A plan to bring everything together, all of creation under Christ. And it's all for the praise of God's glory. You see, our adoption is more about God than it is about us. We need to realise this if we're going to enjoy the blessings and privileges that come from being part of God's family. We're part of something bigger than our own story. God's not the extra standing in the background in the movie that we've made about our lives that we star in. God's not that person. See, the Father has revealed to us that His Son is at the centre of all His plans. And our place in God's big picture, if you like, our place in His family comes through His Son. Our adoption is planned from the Father and our adoption is accomplished through the Son. You can see it there in Ephesians 1 verse 5. It's the eternal Son who fulfills the Father's eternal plan. He's the one who does everything necessary for our adoption. Jump with me one book back in your Bible to Galatians, either flick back or swipe back depending on whether you're using a device or a paper Bible. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, at the time that He planned, the Father sends His Son on a rescue mission into the world. The Eternal Son accepted this mission. Willingly, He wasn't forced to. And He becomes the Incarnate Son. God becomes a man. He lived among us. Again, we've been looking at that in John's Gospel, haven't we? And we'll come back to it later in the year. You see, the full blessings of being part of God's family could only come through obedience. And it always was that way. But Adam failed as an obedient son. Israel failed as God's obedient son. But where everyone failed, Jesus succeeded. After living the perfect life under the law, that's no mean feat. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. But he succeeded in living the perfect, obedient life. And he lovingly laid down his life to pay the price that our freedom required. Redemption. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, who is hanged on a tree. That's in Galatians 3.13. See, in his rescue mission, Jesus, the obedient son, accomplishes everything necessary for our adoption. You see, our adoption is the goal of redemption. It's the goal of Jesus' mission. It's the whole point he came Did you see that in Galatians Galatians 4 verse 5? God sent His Son to redeem that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, our status as God's sons is based completely on the work of Christ, the perfect Son. It's not a status that we earn. You don't win a father. You don't negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the Father and it's an act that cost Him dearly but cost us nothing. Our sonship is a status that we receive by faith. Now, please don't be put off by the language of adopted to sonship in the New Testament. Paul's not being sexist here. Paul's not a misogynist. He's talking about status and privilege, not masculinity. See, in Roman law, sons had more privileges than daughters. And Paul's being radical here in calling both men and women sons of God. He's pointing out what's different in God's family. All have the same status, all have the same inheritance, all are heirs. And he's just said that in Galatians 3 before the bit that we read. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You might say children of God uh, in your Bibles, but the word there is literally sons. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. But there's another reason why all God's children are described as sons. We become God's adopted children by being in Christ. And who is Christ? He is the Son, the perfect Son. And Son language 
applied to us as believers, all of us, preserves this connection we have with Him. It expresses our solidarity with Him, our elder brother. We are sons in the Son. There's a symmetry there. We, we have everything that Christ has. But receive, receiving the status is only the beginning. The real task remains. The task of establishing a genuine, ongoing, loving relationship within this wonderful family that is God's. We've seen our adoption plan from the Father, everything necessary for our adoption accomplished through the Son, but it's the Spirit who's sent to confirm and apply in us what the Son has accomplished. Now, don't get me wrong, we don't want to separate the work of the Son from the work of the Spirit. Nevertheless, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and so they do their unique work. And the Spirit is what is what an is who enables us to experience our adoption. Being embraced as part of God's family comes through the Spirit. It's by the Spirit that we enjoy all the family privileges of adoption. And the first privilege I want to look at, we've already touched on a bit, and that is intimacy with our Father. Galatians 4 verse 6. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See, there's deep affection here, extraordinary intimacy expressed here with our Father in this language. That's what's expressed by crying, Abba, Father. It's in Romans 8.16 as well. And by Him, that is the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father might seem strange that Paul would choose an Aramaic word in a letter that he writes in Greek. It's kind of weird, but why is he doing that? I'm sure there were um, were words he could have used to express similar kind of intimacy. Every language has it. But what he's doing here is he's taking the words off Jesus' lips. That's what he's doing. This is the way that Jesus spoke to his Father. Multiple times might remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he speaks these words to his Father. See, we as sons of God echo the Son of God when the Spirit within us declares, Abba, Father. The Father's love for us, his adopted children, is the same love he has for his only begotten Son. Isn't this remarkable? The same kind of intimacy that Jesus has with his Father, we can reflect in our prayers to God our Father. So let me encourage you to address God as your Father. You don't need to say, dear God, as if we're writing a letter or an email to someone that's far away. God has come near to us. We can call him Father. But for some of us, the very concept of God as our loving Father is a difficult one to accept, isn't it? All of us, to varying degrees, have regrets, disappointments to do with our experience of human fatherhood. I regret some of the things that I do as a father. But maybe you've never known your human father. Or, or, you, had or, have, or you had or have a bad relationship with your father. Fatherhood for you might mean little affection, little interest, 
unavailability. There's deep hurts that some of us might have and might feel. And I don't want to paper over those today. But can God as Father mean anything? The thought of God being our perfect parent, faithful in love and care, wise in guidance, interested in all that we do, always available. I want to say that this can be a comfort for us all. A comfort for us all, regardless of our experience of human fatherhood. Now, I don't want to paper over the hurts. They're real. And, and you don't just get over them. But by the power of the Spirit, we can embrace a loving Heavenly Father that embraces us. Listen to these beautiful words from the hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. If you don't know the hymn, you learn some new poetry today. Father, like he tends and spares us. I think I had a slide, but it doesn't matter. Father, like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. That's our Father. That's our Father God. And these words were written by a man whose father had abandoned him when he was just a boy. Remarkable. By God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, God's perfect fatherhood can be enjoyed by all. Intimacy with our Father. That's the first privilege of our adoption. The second one I want to look at is a new identity. Jump with me to Romans 8 now. Romans 8, 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You see, what I want to focus on here in, these, in this verse is, and it's in Galatians as well, in our new identity as God's children, that's the place where we experience true freedom as God's people and as people in the world. See, the world understands freedom differently. The world understands freedom in line with autonomy and self-rule. You're truly free when you can act according to your desires, according to the world. If you can't do something that you want to, you're not really free. The path to freedom is kind of like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. You know those books right from the start. You're the one who's calling the shots. You decide how the story's going to go. You end up pretty much writing the story. Well, so-called freedom is promised by the path of choose your own identity, according to the world. But all it does, all this, all this approach does is lead you further into slavery. Take the kids' movie, Frozen, for example. Anyone seen this movie? Yeah, a few of you have. I find it ironic that Princess Elsa's chart-topping song, Let It Go, she's singing it, she's singing about her choice to be free while she's locking herself in an ice prison of her own making. She sings I'm free while ensuring that she won't be. That's what she's doing. See, the problem with choose-your-own-identity, that path to freedom, 
is that it ends up being, you end up being enslaved even more. Enslaved to your desires, desires that can change all the time. And, and it leads to further anxiety, more discontent and ongoing disappointment in life. That's, your choose, that's the choose your own identity path to freedom. It's not really freedom at all, even though it looks like it. But as members of God's family, we find true freedom, not in autonomy, but in obedience. Here we're free to live as God made us to live. And it's the Spirit who enables us to live in this way, doing the work of transformation, changing our hearts, guiding us and forming us more and more into the family likeness. We're being conformed into the image of the Son, our elder brother. Another way of saying it, we're being made more and more like Jesus. But that work of transformation won't be complete until the redemption of our bodies when Christ returns. This is our future hope. See, the first privilege of adoption that we've looked at is intimacy. We've looked at a new identity and the freedom that we can have in obedience by the Spirit. Well, the third family privilege, third family privilege I want to look at this morning is the certain hope for the future that we enjoy by the Spirit. And it's there in Romans 8, 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Aren't we already adopted? Well, yes, we are. But what is now is also a not yet. It's that tension that's flowing through the whole of Romans 8 there. There is something that we're waiting for. We wait for our adoption in all its glory, where we'll be perfectly conformed to the image of our elder brother, where we'll share in the inheritance of all things. Everything that is Christ's will be ours. But did you notice the pathway to this glorious future as we read Romans 8 together before? Have a look back at verse 17. What's the pathway to this glorious future? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Verse 17. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you see that? Suffering. Sharing in Christ's sufferings. That's the necessary path to sharing in his glory. So you can't get to glory without suffering in this life. If anyone tells you any, any different, it's rubbish. There's no future glory without present suffering. As Jesus showed us, glorified sons are first suffering sons. But the Father's promise is future glory and he won't leave us in a state of groaning and suffering in a fallen, broken and messed up world. The full experience of our adoption will come, that's the promise, when we're raised again with new bodies. And boy, what we suffer now will be worth it. Paul says in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I find this 
stuff really encouraging in Romans 8? I find it remarkable. All our suffering as a result of living in a fallen world, and I know that some of you are suffering right now. Some of you have suffered a great deal more than I have. Sickness, chronic pain, grief and loss, whatever it might be. All of that suffering is not in vain. God is using that. Even if you, even if you, when you're in the midst of it, you can't see how. God is using that to bring you more and more into the likeness of His Son. For the Christian, suffering is not in vain. Suffering always has a purpose. God is at work in our suffering to make us more like Jesus because that's the destiny that He's promised and that's where He's taking us in suffering. This makes a... Rem- This makes a massive difference to our present, this future hope. It makes a massive difference to how we live in this world as we suffer. Uh, While I was at college last year, I did a fair bit of work thinking about dementia and the suffering experienced when you live with confusion, when you live with doubt, when you can't remember who you are, let alone who God is. Remarkable suffering, and I don't want, to, don't want to belittle it or anything like that. It's, a, it's horrible. It's a horrible disease. And I could pick any number of things to talk about horrible suffering uh, here, here this morning. But, this is, but when, I, when I thought about this and I looked at Romans 8, where is, our, where, where is security, where is comfort, where is hope, even when you can't remember who you are anymore or anyone else is or when you can't even remember God. It's in the God who remembers us. The God who doesn't forget us. The God who has promised to bring us from our present suffering into glory. This makes a massive difference to us in the present because we can say with Paul in verse 38 and 39, of Romans 8. We can say with him, in our suffering as God's adopted children, because of the truth of adoption, we can say these words, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful privilege that we have as being, family mem- being members of God's family, the future hope that secures our future.